right, again as you stand, we'll turn into the book of Matthew again this week to chapter 10, verses 32 to 42. Pastor Bruce is going to conclude his series on Follow Me with a message entitled, Fully Devoted to Following Jesus. Again, our passage is Matthew 10, verses 32 through 42, and you can find it on page 557 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Let's pray. God, it's with thankful hearts and, uh, Lord, just... Uh, joy that we ask that you would challenge us this morning through your word to, God, be committed fully uh, to you and to your mission. God, just uh, mold us, make us more like your son. God, we just uh, desire to be fully uh, committed followers of you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this is the last message in our series. We're concluding it today series we've been in since the beginning of September, a series we've simply been calling based on the words of Jesus Christ, follow me, and in this series we have taken time, in fact 10 weeks, this is week 11 in the series, and we've taken time to uh, look at Matthew chapter 8, Matthew 9, and now we are concluding here in Matthew chapter 10, so three chapters, and we've been focusing on Jesus Christ, His life, His authority, His power, and also His calling of His disciples to simply follow Him and what that means. Uh, some of you may know by now that I am a devoted Starbucks fan. How many like Starbucks coffee? Raise your hand. All right. You guys are awesome people. I love the taste of Starbucks coffee. So it came as no surprise when one Tuesday afternoon back in 2008, February, Starbucks closed all of its stores in the United States. A note on each of the 7,100 locked doors explained why. We're taking time to perfect our espresso. Like lots of successful organizations that grow really fast, it began to take its eye off operations. It began to lose some of its signature traits. Baristas became careless. They started just kind of going through the motions of their work, serving up inferior espressos, either too weak or too hot, too strong, too cold. 
And so according to Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz, Starbucks was on the verge of losing what it set out to do 40 years earlier to inspire the human spirits. One person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. So on that Tuesday, 2008 of February, for 3.5 hours, every store went offline to retrain all of its employees. You say, well, why is that? For one reason, one reason only, because Starbucks is devoted to serving coffee. And not just any kind of coffee, they're devoted to serving the best coffee they possibly can, which is why I love Starbucks. Much the same way, we've been doing a little bit of retraining ourselves as a church family. We've been doing some retraining on the mission of Jesus Christ for the simple purpose that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're devoted to following him. We learned in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 and 9 that Jesus possesses absolute authority in this world. He has authority over disease, we saw. We saw that he has authority over disciples, authority over disasters and demons and and even over the devil himself, and ultimately Jesus has authority over death. Therefore, Jesus warrants absolute allegiance from us in this world. We learn then, as we progress to Matthew chapter 10, that the gospel of Jesus Christ now demands from his followers that his mission become our mission in life. And we began to see as Jesus told those 12 disciples back in his day, as he tells us even now, that living on mission means going to great need, oftentimes in great danger, but doing so with great faith. So as we conclude this series now, as we come to the end of Jesus' words here in Matthew 10, these words that he gave to his 12 disciples which still have so much relevance for us here today in the 21st century. Here's what we're going to see in this very last section of verses in Matthew 10. It's there in your notes coming up on the screen. That is, Jesus started with two simple words, follow me. And now he ends with three thought-provoking symbols. You may have saw them or caught them when Kirk read read the scripture reading for us, the symbol of a sword, a cross, and a cup. This is an interesting passage, to say the least. In fact, I'll be up front with you all. This is a challenging passage, to say the least. This is a radical passage, to say the least. There are three sections of verses here, each with a thought-provoking symbol or picture to kind of help us better understand the three themes of each section. So you may be wondering, well, what in the world does a sword, what does a cross and a cup have to do with following Jesus? Well, Jesus uses these three symbols to, to help us understand. He's using them to, to tell us something about the cost of following him as well as the benefits of following him. And so what I want us to do for a few minutes here on this this Thanksgiving holiday, as we conclude, is, is to dive into these words of Jesus Christ here and see what we can learn about following him from a sword, 
a cross, and a cup. Let's look at it. Number one, the first symbol is a sword. And what we learn from the symbol of the sword here is that following Jesus brings division. It brings division. Now question, why did Jesus come to earth? You know, that's a great question to ask at Christmas time. And who better to answer that question than Christ himself? And Jesus gives us a most unlikely answer here in verse 34. Look what he says. In fact, when's the last time you heard this verse preached at Christmas time? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus says in verse 34, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So what did Jesus mean by this radical statement? Well, Jesus starts by saying, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, which, when you think about it, that's what most people think, isn't it? I mean, that's what all the Christmas cards tell us why Jesus came, to bring peace on earth. And yet, here Jesus sheds light on what he means now by that one statement in verses 35 and 36. Look what he writes, or says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies or a man's foes will be those of his own household. Now think of this symbol of a sword that Jesus is using. What's the purpose of a sword? Well, a sword divides. A sword cuts in two. A sword separates. In fact, a sword can even kill, but that's not the idea here that Jesus is using with this symbol. Jesus says three times he uses this phrase to set against. And that phrase means to make hostile. It means to cut in two. And it indicates a complete and oftentimes a permanent separation. So what Jesus is doing here for us, he's describing in the, the, that the closest human relationships that we have in life as being set against or being cut in two because of his coming. In other words, Jesus uses the symbol of a sword as a symbol of division when he says, I did not come to, to bring peace, but a sword. Now what's up with that? I mean, that just goes contrary to our thinking. I mean, that's a far cry from all the Christmas songs we even hear, right? I mean, can you imagine Hallmark making a movie about this? Who would watch it? In Jesus' day, many Jews thought the coming of the Messiah would actually bring political peace to their nation. They, they thought when Jesus came, he would also bring them material prosperity. And today, many people still think Jesus' presence will bring a, a sense of tranquility to their lives. But Jesus is insisting here that his mission, his purpose for why he came, entails division and strife even if this division is a result of or, or an effect of his coming and not necessarily the primary purpose of his coming, this is still a very hard saying of Jesus. Is this not radical? I mean, what do you do with this saying? Should we just ignore it? 
Should we gloss over it as we read it? As Kirk was reading it to you, did you not think to yourself, whoa, man, well, I can't believe Jesus is saying this. Family's everything. How can Jesus say this? So should we just skip it, move on? Let's just go to Luke, the Christmas story, where the angels herald, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. One reason why this is hard for us is because we intuitively think that Christianity is, is really a religion of peace. And we have good reason for this. Wasn't Jesus called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9? And Jesus said in John 14, 27, he told his disciples before he left, he says, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. So how can we then reconcile these statements of Jesus with this statement of Jesus here in Matthew 10? Well, I think the key is to understand that there are different types of peace at different times for peace. I'm sure some of you have seen the, the coexist bumper stickers on car. How many know what I'm talking about? Sure. The coexist bumper stickers, and then they have all the different symbols of all the different major world religions. And the message of the bumper sticker is somewhat something like this. Let's just all get along. Don't let your religion divide everybody else's religion. Which sounds good on one level until you understand that truth cannot be compromised. So if Jesus is not talking about a Beatles come together type of peace here, then what kind of peace did Jesus come to bring? Well, briefly, here's the kind of peace Jesus brings. Look at this coming up on the screen in your notes if you want to fill it out. First of all, Jesus brings spiritual peace to those who are reconciled to God. In other words, Jesus promises inner spiritual peace to our lives. A peace that comes from God the Father to those who have been reconciled to God the Father through our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. To those people, God, through his son, brings inner spiritual peace to our lives. Number two, Jesus brings relational peace between believers and him. In other words, Jesus has, has broken down the dividing walls between, in his day, the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles who were formerly at odds. In other words, Jesus is the person who, who bonds us together, who unites us together as Christ followers, regardless of one's background, regardless of one's nationality and culture and ethnicity. That's what we are united around, is, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we, we can be, have relational peace with one another. Number three, Jesus, though, he will bring eternal peace when he comes again. And so we look forward to that day when Jesus will come again and when he will reign fully and finally in the new heavens and in the new earth and we will once and for all, we will experience eternal peace, not only in our hearts and our lives, but in this new heavens and new world that we will live in forever and ever. Don't you look forward to that day when we experience eternal 
peace. But we are not yet there in that day, are we? And so that's why there is still a kind of peace that Jesus has not promised to bring. Notice it in your notes. Jesus does not bring peace between those who accept him and those who reject him. I believe this is what Jesus meant when he said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Make no mistake, the kingdom message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is confrontational. It's divisive. And the presence of the king does not mean the absence of hostility or the absence of strife and conflict. In fact, oftentimes it means just that. And so when Jesus came, as we now are enter that season of celebration of his first coming, and when he came, he initiated what we could call spiritual warfare. That means war with evil and assaults on the strongholds of sin in order to bring the salvation of God to mankind. And yes, this warfare eventually does bring peace, but first it brings division and strife and conflict between those who accept him and his message and those who reject him and his message. So conflict is therefore inevitable, even within families, Jesus tells us. But why is this so? Why? Well, notice this, because the decision to follow Jesus brings division in family. And so what we have here now, notice this coming up on the screen, even the closest family relationships are inevitably severed when you follow Jesus publicly and supremely. Which you go to back to verse 32 is what Jesus is talking about here when he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, you confess him publicly, you follow him publicly. And then later down here, you have in verses 35 through 38, talking about love of father, love of mother, your love for me must be more, so we must follow him not only publicly, but we follow him supremely. And when you choose to follow Christ in that manner, and there are those in your family who are not following Christ in that manner, listen, there will be odds, there will be tension, there will be conflict. And so Jesus is warning us here. He's preparing us for this. Please understand, though, here, Jesus is not saying that the one who has decided to follow Jesus publicly and supremely should create the division or should even be the cause of the division within their family. No, no, no. We are told in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So the implication is the hostility is initiated by unbelieving family members due to their opposition toward Jesus, which is then reflected to opposition toward you. J.C. Ryle, one of the great Puritan writers of late, he writes, listen to his words, 
the object of Jesus' first coming was not to set up a millennial kingdom in which all would be of one mind, but to bring in the gospel which would lead to strife and divisions. We have no right to be surprised if we see this continually fulfilled. We are not to think it strange if the gospel rends asunder families and even estrangement between the nearest relations. Jesus is warning us here to expect both individually and corporately the gospel to bring about opposition when it is embraced truly. In other words, when it's embraced publicly and supremely. I'm sure there are some of you here who know firsthand what this is like. Jesus certainly did. His own brothers mocked him. Jesus' own family tried to seize him and have him locked up because they thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. So like Jesus, perhaps you have felt the cut of this sword for following Jesus fully devoted to him. And when this happens, Jesus is saying, he's telling us, he's preparing us in a sense, listen, your loyalty must be with me. And you must be prepared to embrace me despite the opposition of your family. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to do that? Which leads us to this, from the symbol of the sword to the symbol of the cross. Look at this coming up. In your notes here, the cross, following Jesus, brings decision. It brings decision. With the symbol of the cross, Jesus is calling us to a decision of loyalty. Notice what Jesus says in verses 37 and 38. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not what? worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me so three times Jesus tells us the same thing Jesus is declaring that he is the one we must love and live for at all costs in other words following Jesus means choosing Jesus over everyone and everything else in this world let me break this down for us briefly here on what this means. A decision of loyalty. First of all, notice this. Jesus calls us to love him supremely more than family. Jesus is telling us, if your love for your family is greater than your love for me, then you're not ready to be my disciple. It's not that you shouldn't love family. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's, he's not telling us here, don't love your family. Don't love your husband, don't love your wife, don't love your children, don't love your extended family. He's not saying that. He's just saying that your love for Jesus must be greater than your love for family. Think about the people who mean the most to you in this world. For most of us, that's easy. It's our family. It's your spouse, it's your kids, perhaps it's your parents, 
grandparents, aunts, uncles. Those are the people who are closest to us. Those are the people that often mean the most to us. It's not true for everyone. Because in this day and age, we live in such a dysfunctional family crisis that there are many who are not close to family, many who do not, or where family does not mean the most to them. But Jesus assumes something here among his disciples, his followers, that family will be important. That love of family will reign high in our lives. And now Jesus comes along and he's telling us, listen, don't quit loving your family. It's just that your love for me must be greater than your family. And so Jesus is calling us to love him supremely, more than father or mother, more than son or daughter, more than husband or wife. And so the picture here is that love for Jesus is so supreme that love for them simply pales now in comparison. That's the idea here. That's the picture that Jesus is calling us to. The second decision of loyalty, Jesus calls us to live for him ultimately by dying to self. Jesus raises the bar even higher when he says in verse 38, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now what's interesting, this is the very first reference to the cross in Jesus' ministry here. Up until this point in time, we have no reference to the cross until now. And let me tell you, everyone hearing those words of Jesus understood what a cross meant. They understood the, the, the implications of what Jesus was saying. Taking up your cross meant being forced to bear the instrument of your execution. Pass the jury mob to the side of your imminent death as a condemned criminal. And so the meaning here is quite clear. You had to die to self, Jesus is saying. Die to your own passions, your own pursuits, your own self and sin and everything about you. In other words, dying to self means to surrender all that is nearest and dearest to you in order to live for Jesus ultimately. It's the picture of what we saw back in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus sees these four fishermen, two sets of brothers, and they're fishing, and he calls to them, hey, follow me. And what is, do Peter and Andrew, James and John do? They left everything to follow Jesus. And then we come to Matthew chapter 9, and we have a tax collector who was very well-to-do. And Jesus comes to his office and says, Matthew, follow me. And what does Matthew do? He left everything to follow Jesus. Dying to self, dying and surrendering to what's nearest and dearest in order to follow Jesus. But don't miss what is done next. We take up our cross and follow Jesus. So it's not just that we give up something, we get something in return. And who is it we get? Who are we following? It's Christ himself. And when you make this decision to love Jesus supremely and to live for Jesus ultimately, listen, we will never regret it. Which brings us to our last symbol, a cup. Following Jesus brings reward. It brings reward. Look what Jesus promises in verse 39. Look at these words. Look what Jesus says. He tells us, he who finds his life will, what? Lose it. 
And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you realize this principle is the most often repeated of any single teaching of Jesus in the New Testament? Right here. Six times it's repeated. So we should pay attention here to the words of Jesus Christ. Yes, the cost of following Jesus are great, but he is reminding us here now that the rewards of following him are even greater. What is that reward? Notice this in the, on the screen. Basically, we could summarize it this way. If you find your life living for self, you will lose. But if you lose your life living for Jesus, you will win. So if you want to win in the end, then choose to follow Jesus fully devoted to Him. Why? Because Jesus said, if you try to hold on to your life, if you try to find your life living for self, you will wind up losing it in the end. One Bible scholar writes these words. He says, Jesus means here that the person who, when the issue is between me and what that person considers his own interest, chooses his own interest, that person, thinking he is going to find himself a firmer hold on life, will be bitterly disappointed. He will lose rather than gain. His happiness and usefulness will shrink and shrivel rather than increase, and at last he will perish everlastingly. Or as the Swiss theologian Emil Brunner puts it, the person who has made one's life secure will lose it. And the person who has thrown one's life away for my sake will find it. But here's the problem. Perhaps you identify with this problem. I know I certainly can. Most of us here, we often want it both ways. Inevitably, some of us will try to find a way of compromise in which we pursue both Jesus and family, our own lives and Jesus' mission, this world and the things of this world and his kingdom. But there's no such middle ground here in Jesus' teaching. Jesus is basically telling his disciples here, and he's telling us it's either all or nothing. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, or if you have been kind of holding out on following Jesus, kind of holding back on following Him, and holding back from kind of going all in on Jesus, because you're afraid if you do, man, I'm going to have to give up something that's near and dear to me, perhaps a relationship, a habit, a possession, a pleasure, maybe safety or security, whatever the case, the answer is Jesus actually wants far more than what you're thinking about you may have to give up. Jesus wants all of us, everything about us. But listen to me, he promised us so much more in return. As Jim Elliott wrote before being killed on the mission field, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And don't miss this. The reward is not just for us. It's also for others in the process. In verses 40 through 42, Jesus is calling us to realize something here. 
He's drawing our attention to something here, and that is his constant care for us, his constant concern for us. Jesus knows that the mission he's asking us to live is hard. It's costly. Jesus is saying kind of something like this. Man, you need to be prepared for the world to reject you, for the world to oppose you, for the world to hate you and betray you and persecute you and perhaps even family to do that to you. But I want to remind you that I constantly care for you. I'm watching over you. I'm in authority over it all. And he's teaching us here that he will reward even the least kindness shown to his disciples for his sake. Look what he writes here in these verses, 40 through 42. He says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? The Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, and that phrase little ones there just means the insignificant people in this world, that the world considers insignificant. It's not talking about children. Whoever gives one of these little ones, one of these marginalized ones, one of these insignificant people, only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his what? His reward. And so Jesus is reminding us that his eyes are on us and that he takes notice of all those who oppose us and he takes notice of all those who help us and are kind to us as we live out his mission. Jesus reminding us that he never forgets his people. He's watching over us and he cares for us. And so Jesus is saying, even the smallest acts of service here, even a cup of cold water given to the most insignificant of my disciples will be rewarded as though it has been rendered to myself. So the picture here that Jesus is giving to us, and isn't it interesting, it comes at the very end of these three chapters. It's as if this is what he wants us to remember. He wants us to take this away when we walk out the doors and we live on mission. You take this picture away and you keep this picture in your mind as you face out there. The picture is this. Jesus is watching over you. He sees you. He watches over all his disciples and he sees everything that is done to his disciples and he rewards those acts of kindness done to us. Now what's interesting about this is that Jesus is directing this to us. The point is not directed at those who would do these acts of kindness to us. The point here, the picture that Jesus is drawing for us, is directed to us as his disciples. Why? Again, because Jesus wants us to capture this thought in this truth, in this picture, that he's trying to assure us that even though following him is, yes, costly, he will reward us 100-fold in the end. He sees it all. 
And so at the end of this chapter now, as he sent these 12 disciples out on this short-term mission, and as he sends us out into our worlds, where we live, where we work, on mission for him, he is saying to us, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep following Jesus. Keep living on mission, even in the face of difficulty, opposition, and suffering. Why? Because as Jesus has proven to us for two chapters here in Matthew 8 and 9, He has authority over it all, people. So following Jesus is always worth it. Yes, we may suffer something in this life, but oh, will we win in the end. Do you believe that? Then go out and live it. So as we now come to the conclusion of this series, here's the question from Matthew 10. Are you a casual fan? Is that all you are? Are you just a casual fan of Jesus? Someone who who follows him from a distance, someone who follows him conveniently, when it fits into your life, when it fits into your schedule, when it costs you very little, or are we committed followers of Jesus Christ? And do you love Jesus enough to follow him fully devoted? As Soren Kierkegaard reminds us, There is a difference between admirers and followers of Jesus. I hope you have learned that in this series. The two are not the same. As we have seen throughout this series, there are many fans who admire Jesus for his selfless example, for his teaching, for his compassion, and for his miraculous healings. But these are not Followers of Jesus Christ. Followers understand, true followers understand that the cross is the way that Jesus went and the way that he asked us to go as well. You say, man, how can we do that? Whoa, Bruce, what are you asking? It's not me asking, it's Jesus. So how can we do this? What motivates us then to follow Jesus fully devoted? Listen, our motivation to follow Jesus flows. It must flow from our love for Jesus. You see, if a relationship with Christ is worth anything, it is worth everything. As one pastor stated it, if you believe the truth of it, then you will pay the price of it. Those who don't like Christ on these terms may leave him, but at their loss. So the question really does come down to this. Do you love Jesus enough, your Savior, your Lord, enough to follow him fully devoted? Mark chapter 3, verse 14 tells us that when Jesus called these 12 disciples to him, he called them to first be with him. And they were with Jesus for three years, and then he sent them out on his mission. And as they were with Jesus, 
they began to fall in love with him. They began to learn to love him for who he was and to love him more than anything and anyone else. As John reminds us in 1 John 4, 10 and 19, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And oh, did he not love us in our sin. In fact, he loved us enough that John goes on, he says, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Don't let that word scare you. All that means is that Jesus, God sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins with his death on the cross. To pay the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And then John ends it in verse 19. We love now. We love him because he first loved us. And it was this love for Jesus that moved these disciples out in mission for Jesus, to obey Jesus by going to great need, in great danger, but with great faith. And folks, it is our love for Jesus. It's our understanding of who we are without Christ, apart from Christ, that we are nothing more than sinners on a one-way street to hell, eternal hell. And if God hadn't intervened in our lives, there would be no hope in our lives. But thankfully, God in His grace, what did He do? He did intervene. He opened up our hearts. He opened up our eyes to see who we are as sinners and that I am in need of a Savior and He's the only one that can save me. And it's out of that, I don't forget that, that my love grows for Him. And so I spend time with Him. And my love flourishes for Him. And I can't help now to live for Him as a fully devoted follower. With your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time, I want to encourage you to use our response time here to apply this series in your life. To use it as a time to evaluate, am I a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? And to help you do that, there's some questions there at the bottom of your notes. You may be wondering, well, what exactly is a fully devoted follower? We've identified it here in our church as a follower of Jesus Christ is one who knows Christ. They grow in Christ. They show Christ. And they go with Christ. And so there's four questions there to kind of help you evaluate. Where are you at in this process? Do you know Jesus as the Savior who came to save you from your sins? Listen, that is the very first step to take. Is to admit your need as a sinner. And to humbly come repenting of your sin and ask Jesus to save you. And of course, once we receive Jesus as our Savior, we worship Him as our Lord, who reigns with authority. Growing in Christ, what next steps do you need to take in order to grow deeper in your love for Jesus? We're at the end of a year, coming into 2014. Where are you at in Bible reading? How about coming to our Discovery Hour, getting involved in grow groups? These are all opportunities to grow in your love for Christ. Showing Christ, in what ways is God leading you to show Jesus to people in your community and beyond? 
What acts of service, what kind deeds, what grace and mercy can you show to people in need? And then number four, go with Christ. Who do you know that needs you to go and share the good news of the gospel with them? Right now, what, what face is God bringing to your mind? What neighbor, what friend, what coworker? needs you to share Jesus with them. The good news of Christmas. Let me encourage you as the praise team sings the chorus to, to evaluate this, to pray, to bring these things before God in prayer.